Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join the editors of Consumer Guide Automotive as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews. Shopping tips. Driving green. Electric cars. Classic cars. And plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Tom Appel. All right, I am Tom Appel, and this is episode 106 of the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Hey, thanks for joining us today. When you get a chance, please check us out at consumerguide.com. While you are there, check out our best buy picks. This list is an excellent starting place. If you are looking for a new car or truck, you will also want to check out our blog for complete reviews of all the vehicles that we drive here at Consumer Guide and all sorts of other fun stuff. And, and this is important, you can catch up on back episodes of the podcast right there on our homepage. All right, let's see who's online with us today. She is the managing editor of Pickup Truck Plus SUV Talk, and her freelance work is all over the internet. Hey, Jill Simonello. Hey, Tom Appel. How are you? I'm good. Um, you know, I ran into somebody that we know this week. Who'd you uh, run into? I ran into Tom Beeman, who is a regular listener of the show and an old friend from way back in the industry. Um, and uh, he he wanted me to say hello to you and Damon, and that he is a huge fan of our show, that this is his favorite podcast. So I just wanted to give a quick shout out to him and say it was really great to see him last week. Well, that is cool to hear. I've got some stuff for you. Two shout outs. I've got two okay. shout outs. Okay. One of them from is, is from Sam Fiorani, our friend from Auto Forecast Solutions. Sam didn't exactly correct me, but he wanted to know how I pronounce Audi. <laughs> okay. And Audi is how I pronounce Audi. If okay. that is wrong, please let me know. Okay, so I pronounce it Audi. Audi? Yeah. Audi. Uh, Audi. So I say Audi. All right. Uh, I'm very Illinoising it, I think. And I may be Spanishing it because I'm like Audi, Audi. I don't know. Also, also, I heard from Johnny Putman of Steve and Johnny fame, and she had her own take on what cloudy lemonade is. <laughs> okay. Hmm. So I did a little checking, and and it seems like cloudy lemonade is mostly the unfiltered stuff, but there is an older reference, and it's maybe it's a Southern USA thing. But it is also known as a creamy lemonade, and it is lemonade with condensed sweetened milk in it. Ugh. Mm. Ugh. Apparently, it is beloved by those who know it. Yeah. All right. So, Jill, what do you think? Yeah. That's about what I have to say about that. We'll need to record that and use it as a computer. <laughs> All right. He's the managing editor here at Consumer Guide, and his new business, Breakup Haiku, will help you unload that unwanted significant <laughs> other with class and dignity. Welcome, Damon Bell. <laughs> All I can think of is step out the back, Jack. Get a new, what is it, make a new plan, Stan. No need to be coy, Roy. Uh, set yourself free. <laughs> set yourself free, Lee. Yeah, those aren't necessarily haikus, though. No, I, I'm a, I remember a high school friend and I used to make fun of that song. I shouldn't say make fun of that song because that's a great song. It's but great we used song. we used to jokingly like sing along with that song and then say, "Make a new plan, Gary. Step out the back, Joe." Like and deliberately not rhyme the names. Drop but off the anyway, key, Heinrich. Drop off the key, Joe. Oh yeah, <laughs> Heinrich. Heinrich. It's even better when it's <laughs> when it's a multi-syllable name. I have to say, this was an especially difficult uh, episode for me to be quiet in that opening segment. Uh, oh, why? with all the why? cloudy with all the cloudy I, lemonade I, talk. I was like, how do you feel about the cloudy lemonade? Exactly. That uh, I don't think that would be very good. I don't citrus and milk just no. It's a big no. But then you have the orange sickle thing, and I've never been crazy about the, you know, the cream sickle isn't that like orange and cream what about somehow. Key lime pie? Not a fan. I am not yeah. a fan of key lime pie, and my family loves it, so I'm kind of odd person out there. And and also, I've come around a little bit, but I've never been fully on board with the orange Julius either. Mm, mm -hmm. No, I don't like that. That's not refreshing. It's weird and thick. Because there's lots of vanilla in that, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah. Things orange should be refreshing. Yeah. So, so, so the cloudy lemonade can mean both unfiltered lemonade with some kind of pulp and such in it, but then also, did you say sweetened condensed milk? 
Yes. Mm. It's also known as creamy lemonade. Ugh. You'll find more references if you search on creamy lemonade. All right. I, I will need to look that up because I'm intrigued enough to, I, I will give it a shot and try it, but my hopes aren't high for liking it. <laughs> And that was the recipe section of the show today. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Damon, my hearing aid cut out earlier. What's going on on the show today? <laughs> We've got uh, one of our favorite folks in the industry returning to our show today. That is Joe Weisenfelder. He's yeah. the executive editor over there at Cars.com. And Cars.com recently had a very interesting uh, live Q&A session uh broadcast uh online that's called uh guide to the ev curious yes i'm sorry guide for the ev curious and it's a fantastic primer if you're like a lot of people uh out there today that just we're hearing so much about electric vehicles but a lot of the finer points uh, it's kind of fallen through the cracks so it's a great overview of just what it means to have an electric vehicle what you should really have at your home in order to have one properly and whether an ev is right for you uh so we're going to have joe on today to uh fill us in on on that and we'll have an ev discussion with him and then also speaking of evs it's been a little while since we've done a first segment car review so well, why don't we is that <laughs> <laughs> we blame you tom i i think we can spread i think we can spread the blame uh evenly amongst us Although, Tom, you were the one that said, hey, we should do this. So I will credit you with uh, getting us back on track with it. Ooh, I get a but point. What's that? Only a half a point. You get a point. That's right. Half a That's point. Right. <laughs> but speaking of car reviews and EVs, there's a new for 2022 EV that we've all driven, mm -hmm. and that is the Mazda MX-30. Yes. Um, it's... Let's get the elephant in the room out of the way first. <laughs> I was going to say exactly that. And, and that's the first line of my review, by the way. Is it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a new for 2022 vehicle, EV, but it is launching with a range that would be more appropriate for a new for 2012 vehicle. <laughs> There's Its maximum driving range is about 100 miles. Which right. Yeah is well off the pace, significantly off the pace for a modern EV. And, and yeah. at a time when what we're seeing is really profoundly impressive ranges coming from, from new vehicle manufacturers, the Lucid Air has a range over 500 miles. Um, the, the Mustang Mach-E in one particular trim level I think is 304 miles and uh, the Chevy Bolt now is 260 miles. So people are expecting these multi-hundred mile ranges. So 100, mm -hmm. 100 feels like a disappointment. It and does. I, and I think uh, basically, the, to, to my way of thinking, right now the basement is, if you're not at 200 miles, you're, you're kind of off, significantly off the pace with a brand new electric vehicle. Now, all that said, <laughs> it is relatively affordable, and and they're only going to be selling it in California, where to start to start. Mm -hmm. And the interesting thing about California for people who don't know, because of something called CARB, the California Air Resources Board, which is really one of the legislative and governing leaders about clean air activity for the U.S. There are 14 states that apply CARB rules to their states, for example. Um, there are compliance laws in California where manufacturers have to sell a certain amount of zero emissions vehicles. For that reason, there are vehicles available in California that we have never seen in Illinois. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and this vehicle is going to start its life there, giving Mazda its first ever all-electric vehicle. But one of the interesting things about this vehicle, too, is that it is not exactly priced like a 100-mile vehicle, in my mind. No, no. And when I jumped down into my article with like how much it cost, you're looking at a base price of just under $35,000. And then, you know, to go to the premium plus package, you're looking at, um, you know, about $39,000. And so in comparison, you know, if you look at the Nissan Leaf or the Chevrolet Bolt, you're looking right. at like $28,000 or $34,000 respectively. So, um, you know, the, the Bolt, is is 
I would say comparably priced to the, you know, base version of the MX-30, but also it has, you know, 150 more miles of range. So, um, yeah, the, the pricing in the, in the, um, in the range are the two tough things to swallow on this, but I loved the MX-30 in every other way. Jill, I want to talk about something real quick, and then we'll get back mm -hmm. to our impressions of the vehicle. The Bolt is is sort of working with a handicap right now because it, the Chevy no longer qualifies for the federal tax credit. Correct. Nissan does. So the Nissan comes across as pretty much a bargain. Yeah. And, of course, that federal tax credit applies to this because Mazda's never sold an electric vehicle before. But, but yeah, to get to the, our impressions of the vehicle, I actually rather liked it, but go ahead. Oh, I thought it was... I, I, like it's typical Mazda, you know, it drives really well. It has really nice finishing touches. And one of the really interesting things that I thought they did is they made it, it an EV that drives like their um, combustion engine vehicles. So they're they're sporty and peppy, but they're not they don't have like an insane mode. So, you know, you, you look mm. at Tesla and some of the other electric cars out there, they really take advantage of the torque and allow you to go from zero to 60 in two seconds. Well, Mazda doesn't do that with the the, C or the MX-30, you know, basically what they're doing is they're making it peppy like their, you know, regular gasoline engine vehicles are peppy and they hold lines really well. I, I had the opportunity to drive this um, in California and it um, we were on some curvy roads and some mountain areas and it just it drives sporty and it was fun to drive. Yeah, I agree. It was a lot of fun to drive. It's a little bit narrow. The center console is wide, so as a big uh -huh. guy, I probably wasn't as accommodated as some people are, but that's my problem. <laughs> um, but, I, but I agree with you about the driving experience. It feels like a Mazda. That was exactly what I was going to say. Just fun to drive. It's responsive. The steering is, is, is very accurate and, and responsive. Um, driving it's nice. Being in the front of the vehicle is nice. Um, I do not know why and people tend to do this, manufacturers tend to do this with electric vehicles where they throw in weird styling cues or feature cues <laughs> that, that are challenging, but this vehicle is a two-door with two half-doors that are hinged at the back. Right, suicide uh, doors. For the rear, suicide doors, exactly. And Although you'd never hear them called that nowadays. No. But, <laughs> no. but there's absolutely no darn reason for that. They, they No. <laughs> well, David, well, you so, have kids. Yeah, yeah, I... I, I use this vehicle to take my kids to school when I had it and that was way more complicated than you might expect because it's a tradition yeah it's a normal front you know normal front doors but then those half back doors they're hinged at the rear and they cannot be opened independently yeah. of the front doors there's no external uh, latches you have to come at it from you know there's an internal uh, latch release that is kind of awkward to reach and especially if you're a kid in the back seat uh, very very uh, stingy rear seat room too like my kids are 10 and 8 and even they were didn't really have enough space with their booster seats so not a practical back seat for even kids let alone adults and I'm yeah, like, I sit back there fine, Damon. <laughs> you're, you're, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a, a special case. You, you and I are on opposite ends of the, of yes. the uh, percentile spectrum uh, height-wise. So, um, true. But, but getting the kids out in the back, out from the back when you have to open that rear door is just very cumbersome. And if you are in a tight parking spot in a grocery store parking lot or Target or whatever, and you've got cars on either side of you and you need to get a kid out of the a passenger out of the back seat you open both doors with a car parked right next to you you've now trapped yourself in that tiny space between the right. two open doors so it's it's they those rear doors are marginally better than no doors at all in my book well, and to be fair, though, Mazda, I don't think, intends for this to be a car to carry rear seat passengers. You know, during the, the press presentation, they totally talked about somebody who is either single or dual income, no kids owning this car, somebody who is younger, somebody who this is going to be their first EV. Um, they're just trying to wet their feet into to the EV spectrum. Um, so I don't I don't think that they intended this to be a car to carry kids or even rear seat passengers. It was like more of an occasional rear seat passenger thing. 
Um, so I, I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I hear you. Yeah, I understand all that. I don't think the, and this is this is my opinion. I don't think the styling is quite sexy enough, and frankly, I don't think <laughs> the, the driving experience is. It has that Mazda handling feel, but it is not a particularly powerful car, even no. compared to a Bull TV. So if I was going to settle for 100 miles of range and very limited practicality in an EV, I'm just going to get a Mini Cooper SE, which I found significantly more fun uh, handling-wise and zippier to drive, despite the similarly limited range. And what was the range of that, Damon? Uh, Cooper SE is also about 100 miles. About 100 miles. And is that priced similarly? That's a little bit more money. Mm, I think they're pretty competitive price-wise. Uh, I'd have to look it up to be sure, but I think the Cooper SE might even be a shade uh, cheaper because, again, that is a car that Mini already has. It's not a dedicated platform like the MX-30. So we're out of time, but we need to throw this out. Mazda intends to make this vehicle available with what they call a range extender, a gasoline-powered range extender in this case it's going to be rotary because mazda can't do anything that isn't rotary um <laughs> but but that'll be available too and i wonder if they intend to sell that as the perfect solution for the ev situation where you can go 100 miles and then this very small very light motor takes over and it'll work like the chevrolet volt did where it'll the electric motor will drive a generator that powers the battery there will never be direct contact between the electric motor and the, and the wheels uh, but we'll see where that goes because that would have an impact on price too Mm -hmm. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we talk to Joe Weisenfelder of Cars.com. Stick around. Hey, it's Tom. Did you know that with Electrify America's vast electric vehicle charging network, you can now drive your EV from coast to coast? And with their ultra-fast charging stations, you'll get back on the road even faster. With more than 650 convenient locations nationwide, just pick your destination and hit the road. Visit electrifyamerica.com and see how Electrify America is bringing freedom to EV drivers. That's electrifyamerica.com. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive, and I'm glad you stuck around today. Hey, this is the part of the show when I strongly recommend that you follow me on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is car underscore guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to be entertaining. All right. Our guest today is the award-winning executive editor over at Cars.com. He is also North American Car of the Year juror. Welcome to the Car Stuff Podcast again, Joe Weisenfelter. Uh, thank you for having me. I promise not to be entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> well, you already missed it right there because that was entertaining. <laughs> See? Joe, See what I did there? Yeah. No, that was good. So I think this is your second visit, so we now officially refer to you as a friend of the show. Excellent. All right. Good to Joe, be a friend. You and your, your Cars.com friends did something very interesting uh, recently, and I'd like you to tell us about it. Is the EV guide, or is, what is it, the Cars.com guide for the EV curious? Uh, this was a video presentation. I watched all of it, and I thought it was awesome. Tell us about it. Um, yeah, we, we did a uh, kind of a, I don't know, we called it, I hate to say this, but we called it a fancy Zoom. Uh, it was a, a, a fancy webinar. So it was a, uh, a consumer-facing. It was for, for you know all consumers to check out a live uh, kind of with with some recorded segments uh, uh, guide for people who are interested in EVs but didn't know much, or maybe even people who who knew some things, because. It, it, there's just so much more information out there now and so many more vehicles coming out now that it's it's another big push for EVs. But a lot of the misconceptions are still out there. Sure. And we've we've come to recognize as, you know, EV owners, because Cars.com purchased its first uh, plug-in vehicles, uh, a Nissan Leaf and a Chevy Volt, 10 years ago. Uh, and I had my first home charging system 10 years ago that there's certain things that are just so hard to understand about electric vehicles if you don't own one. And it's, you know, you see the conundrum. 
um, it's, it's hard for people to grasp what it's like. And it is very different in some ways. And it's not how they drive. You get in, you drive them. They drive like other cars. They may be quieter. They may be quicker than you expect and all that. And, and actually, they, they bring a lot. They are advantages. But there's so many things people don't understand. And, and they're typically about things like range and, and other stuff like that. Uh, too much emphasis on public infrastructure for one thing. Um, so we thought we got to do something or, you know, maybe that's a little bit dramatic, but uh, <laughs> we chose to try and share some of these stories, like learn from what we've learned um, to try and help people understand what's going on and what they might consider uh, buying. And even, even help some people understand that maybe they're not a candidate for an EV. Yeah. And I think one of the things that we should start with, and I know, Joe, that this is a, a core position of yours, and I agree with it 100%, that if, really, if you are going to have a full electric vehicle, a home charger, 240 volt level two home charger is a necessity. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? Uh, absolutely. The reason is that you, well, there, there are multiple reasons. Our, our, one of the first things we share with people is we tell them in, in the presentation, the video is still available um, uh, to watch. And we, is and we will link to that, charging Joe. Is slow. Great. And uh, charging is slow. Uh, and then you can find it at cars.com slash news as well or our YouTube channel. Um, but it, charging is slow. Uh, even what is called fast charging is slow if your only point of reference is sticking a nozzle <laughs> in a gas tank. Um, and I have to say, just to be clear about this, cars.com is you know, very much in favor of electric vehicles. We like them uh, for the right buyer. Uh, and we, uh, we, we, we think it's important to understand that when you charge at home overnight, when the car's just sitting there anyway, you start out every morning with a full quote unquote tank. So you should be thinking about the, the miles per day, not the miles per tank full like you would with a gasoline car, unless you're you know, thinking about going on long trips. Um, uh, public charging, even the fat DC fast charging, and I keep calling it in, in, that instead of level three because colloquially we call it level three, but technically, according to the standard, that's not what it's called. Um, <laughs> DC fast charging is not fast, um, it's getting faster, and we're, as, as people who have done this for a while, we're happy to see that you can charge a car to 80% in what, I don't know, a half hour? But to people who are EV curious, they're like, what? <laughs> a half mm -hmm. hour? Are mm -hmm. you kidding me? Um, it takes longer. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it often costs more, which eliminates the advantage of driving electric in most cases. Driving electric can cost, depending on where you live, depending on gas prices and electric prices, which vary all over the map, literally. Um, it can cost half as much per mile to drive electric, but if you are charging in public, not the case. Um, more, more often than not, you're losing that advantage. Um, and then there's the other one that people are often surprised by, which is most manufacturers of these vehicles acknowledge that if you DC fast charge frequently, you will compromise the long-term range of, of your battery. Um, and they, so they recommend against it. Um, and that is something that may be addressed in the future or improved in the future, but it, it's just not something you want to make a habit of. If those other reasons aren't enough <laughs> to, to convince you that home charging is the way to go. Joe, I haven't heard much in recent years about the level three or DC fast charging impact. Um, on battery life, but it was something that was discussed a lot when, for example, the Nissan Leaf first came out. And I remember speaking to someone on Nissan, at Nissan on the record about that, and they made it very clear that fast charging was going to have an impact on the long-term durability of the battery. I don't know why that conversation has gone away, um, maybe because we're talking so much about public, in, you know, public charging infrastructure and because that needs to be fast charging almost to make it make sense. But do you have any numbers or any any statistics about the impact of that of fast charging on battery life well the only the only number i've seen and I, it's been quoted by a couple of manufacturers and not necessarily for their vehicle i mean it's usually an aggregate because we're all just sure. learning you know based on vehicles that are out there is you can lose 10 percent 
over the you know normal life or the warranty period uh, from lots of DC fast charging, 10% of the capacity, which actually isn't terrible, um, but it's certainly more than you want to. Uh, and again, it varies with the vehicle. I mean, some people will, of course, claim, well, Teslas don't lose that much. But there are different reasons for that. I mean, Teslas tend to have larger batteries. So what does a larger battery mean? It means, well, people are probably charging them less frequently or they're not discharging as deeply and then charging as fully. And that also has an effect on battery life because, I mean, all it is for battery life is time and charge discharge cycles. So if you're not charging and discharging as often, which is what you would do with a larger battery capacity battery, then that might be the issue. So um, 10% doesn't sound like too much of a penalty to pay, but it does, remember, come on top of the other thing that we mentioned in our guide, which is it is not just uh, uh, possible, but ex expected and accepted for EV batteries to lose about 20% of their capacity over that warranty period. Again, eight to 10 years and, you know, 100,000 miles. I mean, you shouldn't be surprised. I mean, you know how your phone starts acting as it gets older. Mm -hmm. um, yes. And the quality and the investment and the management and the cooling and all that stuff in, in, a, in an electric car is much better uh, and, and more robust than in your phone. But the same chemistries and the same you know principles apply. So they do lose 20% of their capacity over that time. And we tell people, think about that when you're thinking about buying, if you're going to keep the car for a long time. And think about the other one that you guys know as well as I do, which is when winter comes, your capacity <laughs> goes, your, your range goes down the drain. And this is universal. It doesn't matter about the manufacturer. It's uh, and, and AAA finally put a nice number to it, which is take your range at 70 degrees Fahrenheit and then look at the same range at 20 degrees Fahrenheit. It is 40% lower. So then yeah. you, this is why you start looking at these percentages. All right, 40% plus 20% plus 10%. Pretty soon we're looking at a real amount of a range, you know? Yeah, I think that chart that you referenced, it said, um, okay, you have a 300-mile range vehicle, and 40% of that, if for those people who can't do math in their heads, which would probably be most of us on this uh, <laughs> podcast, um, I, so I'm quoting the, the chart, it's 180 miles of range. That's a, that's a lot. Um, but, yeah. but uh, you know, so I wanted to go back to the DC fast charging for a, a hot second because you you said a couple of times, you know, it's not fast, even though they're calling it DC fast charging. And there was one section in the the EV Curious video that kind of talks about what that actually means because we've seen manufacturers toss out numbers like, oh, with the super duper fast charge, it'll be ten minutes and, and you'll be at eighty percent capacity. But even if an automaker automaker says it's 10 minutes it's not actually 10 minutes can you can you talk a little bit about that yeah our experience and and i suspect yours as well is that when you actually charge these vehicles they don't hit the the you know advertised maximum um i have seen it and i don't mean to like throw the, these two under the bus but uh, just to show that it's widespread with the Ford Mustang Mach-E and the Volkswagen uh, ID4, in good conditions, and it, it, different things affect how quickly a vehicle charges, temperature, how full it is to begin with. And, and any, anyone who's done you know, any kind of driving VVs knows if the battery is fuller, it charges slower. Actually, that's true yeah. of any rechargeable battery in anything. But it, things can seem optimal, and you plug it in, and you're like, why is it not charging faster? Now, some of the time, that could be the charger uh, outside the vehicle. It's not necessarily the vehicle's fault, especially in cases where it's a privately owned charger and the charge point network, uh, though it's pretty robust as a network, uh, allows its owners to, to you know, set that. And if there are a lot of vehicles charging, it might reduce. You never know. Um, so the rea we're, we're talking about reality here. Reality is seldom does the vehicle charge as quickly as it is stated that, that it should. Um, and that is one of the things that people will run into. Um, so we say just treat those uh, claims as claims and remember all those other downsides to public charging. And, and also, this is a huge investment to buy an EV. And 
we bought ours 10 years ago, and there happened to be two charging uh, stations in the garage across from the cars.com offices that we were able to use. And they just showed up practically three weeks before we bought our vehicles. It was perfect. And they were free. And we used them. And let me tell you, in the course of three or four years, those stations went from free and always available to always taken when we got there because mm-hmm. our office were near the, the exchanges and the traders got there early and parked their Teslas there to <laughs> billing for the first four hours to being broken and then just vanishing <laughs> from the parking garage. <laughs> so if you're investing in a car, you need control of the charging. It's just, yeah. it, it's, I, I don't recommend uh, making this big of an investment on something that that is, you know, in someone else's hands, like in the hands of, you know, a parking garage across from where you work. <laughs> so, so Joe, we've just talked about why public charging may not be the answer, but you guys have found out, too, that charging at home may not be as easy as most people think. And, in fact, I found this particular segment of the video just a little depressing because I thought things would go easier than this. But, but tell us about your experience with home charging. Um, I think the best thing about home charging is once you're over that hump, it's great. I mean, you just, I mean, you never have to go to a gas station again. You plug in and you can precondition the cabin before you get in when it's super hot or super cold out, which is actually a good idea as well because it preserves your range because all of your range, uh, uh, you know, all of your heat and AC comes from the battery and that's where your range, you know, comes from, obviously. Uh, the, the issue is people are accustomed to buying a car and just driving it. They don't have to call an electrician. They definitely don't have to call uh, to get a permit or maybe another contractor if if they you know have a a long run between where the car parks and where the the electric service panel is so we had outfitted a number of our reviewers with uh, home charging and i can tell you the installation cost and this excludes the charger itself the level two evse as it's called um range from nine hundred dollars for the simplest one that happened to be mine to six thousand um, <laughs> and the reason is it really depends on where uh, where you want to park. Uh, even in, in the case where you do, you know, where you do, let's say, own the home uh, or townhome or condo or whatever, and where 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 the service panel, the 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 fuse box, for want of a better term, is, and where you're going to park. And what's in between there? I mean, is there concrete? Does that have to be broken up and then re- then patched? Uh, is it grass? Do you have to go through some walls to run conduit? Um, and do you have enough service? Is another big question. If you live in an old house with 60 amps total coming into the house, um, you might need to go up, you know, upgrade to 100 or 200 or from 100 to 200 amps because a lot of these vehicles, rightly so, are drawing more current than say the leaf did 10 years ago right um so you might need a 60 amp breaker to really make the most of the um the charging capability of these vehicles to add 30 plus miles per hour of charging to a mustang mach e or a volkswagen id4 and 60 amps (laughs) you heard what i said i mean your whole house might get 100 amps or you know you you and to be clear it, you typically, at least with ComEd here in Chicago, I don't, I don't think you you pay to, to have them feed you more amperage, more current. But you, as the homeowner, would then have your electrician replace the service panel. And as soon as the service panel is being replaced, that can cost you, that can easily cost you $1,000 because it's labor and parts. Um, and the other concern is always, um, once you change something in a house, you have to meet the current code um, mm-hmm. and deal with uh, you deal with, um, you know, uh, uh, the inspector. And if you're doing it permitted the right way and we, we suggest you do. And if you want to get any kind of incentive, you should certainly do that way. Um, and you should. Um, uh, and, and we also point out that if you have a, a condo association or a, or, or homeowners association, that could be another mm-hmm. another obstacle for you. <laughs> so, Joe, I've got two two thoughts real quick because we're running out of time. One is once you've done that, at least you've done it and it's done for good. That should last a very long time. 
um, your charging station should. But and the other add point value is, to your home. That's yeah. true, right? That'll help you when you go to sell your home. But the other thing is, uh, yeah. if you're married and your spouse also drives an EV, I suggest that there's going to be some strife, a little bit of a... <laughs> <laughs> Who gets the charger? Who gets the charger? Or do you install two? That's an, that's well, an interesting point. Go that again. And, and <laughs> that's it. It is an interesting point, and that's one of the ones we make, which is uh, we really think that you can solve a lot of the concerns, you know, address a lot of the concerns about EVs if you you know, get one EV uh, in your household of two cars, because the national average in the U.S. for uh, a household is two cars. Buy one that's electric for around town and short trips, charge overnight. Uh, it's always ready. And if you want to go on a long trip, um, take the conventional one. And then you're not thinking about stopping at DC fast charging yeah. or, you know, Tesla supercharging stations or worried about how much range your vehicle has. Because once you own an EV, you realize you really don't drive that much day to day. And every mile of range you, buy, you, you get, you're, pay, you're really paying for it. It costs more. Joe, we're out of time, but remind us, how can we watch the guide for the EV Curious? Um, one of the easiest ways, I guess, is to go to uh, uh, our YouTube channel, uh, YouTube slash CarsCom, or uh, you can probably still find it at Cars.com slash news, where there's actually more detail than even in the, the, the guide for the EV Curious. Uh, we have more detail and all that stuff, and we're going to be covering more of this about our experience and costs and other considerations and how we feel about our different brands of chargers, which we're just kind of digging into. They're all a standard. Um, any vehicle that has the right connector will charge uh, with with these, but there are still differences in how they work and how they look and all that stuff. And we're going to be digging into that. It's going to be uh, it's going to be a busy time. Well, cool. The video was awesome. I recommend everyone who wants to know anything about EV should watch that. Joe, you're known to tweet once every lunar cycle. How can people follow your tweet? <laughs> it's so long I can't even remember. No, actually, my, my uh, handle. My handle is at joeatcars.com, like spelled out, joeatcars.com. I, I honestly don't re recall the, the last tweet I put up. But, so. <laughs> All right. He is Joe Weisenfelder. He is with cars.com. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Welcome back to the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Hey, thanks for sticking around. Hey, Jill. Hey, yeah. You do social media stuff. Tell us about how people can follow you. Yes, I do do social media stuff. So I have accounts on TikTok, Instagram, and uh, Twitter. Uh, and you can find me at Jill Simonello. So that is just my name, all one word, J-I-L-L-C-I-M-I-N-I-L-L-O. Um, and I also use the hashtag car du jour because I'm talking about the cars that I am driving today. Damon, you've been using the hashtag Yeehaw because you changed your Twitter <laughs> handle to Cowboy Damon. What's that all about? Actually, that would be Duke Boy Damon. Uh, Duke Boy? Yeah. I'm imagining ramping lots of uh, 69 Dodge Chargers. <laughs> no, I, actually, I, I'm now I'm thinking about breakup haikus like you uh, made up for me in the first segment. And it just occurs to me now, let me see, because it's haikus are five, seven, five syllables, right? Right. So it's not me. No, it's not you. It's me. That's five syllables, right? <laughs> so yeah. that's the first line of a breakup well, haiku. Maybe. I've got one here from your press kit. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, you had this on, you had this holstered in the first segment. We just didn't get to it, huh? Yeah. <laughs> well, excellent. I'm glad we've got it uh, open for that now. Oh, you want me to read it? Yes, please do. <laughs> I don't no, recall this. No. I don't recall <laughs> this press kit. This is from the press kit. I'm getting bored. Recent date, super dull. I met someone new. Oof. See, that's harsh. It's not you as it's, it's not it's not you, it's me as a blow softener. <laughs> Even if it's not true and it's almost never true. Hmm. Okay. Uh, anyway, I'm at, no I didn't. I'm doing that now. 
<laughs> I'm pulling it back on track. I'm at Damon Bell Likes Cars on Twitter. <laughs> All right. Hashtag yeehaw. All right. <laughs> it is now quiz time. Uh, I hope you guys are ready. This week's topic is debut editions. Oh. Mm. Damon, you go first (laughs) this week. Uh, Damon, Damon, for what year did the Kia Rondo debut? 2007, 2009, or 1911? Wow. Oh, this is, yeah, you pick something that's in the trough of everyone's memory. That's the mm. Kia Rondo. Uh, very memorable ad campaign, not a very memorable vehicle. I liked it a lot. It was a oh, great I love the Rondo. I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I, we actually had a consumer guide long-term Rondo. Yeah, it was a wagon, was, non-wagon. So you're two, you said 2007 and 2009. Yes, and 1911. In 1911. <laughs> oh, gosh. I am, oh, God, that's... I'm gonna say, I'm gonna say 2007. All right, Jill, this question goes to you. The Kia Rondo, the beloved Kia Rondo, did that arrive for 2007, 2009, or 1911? 1911, Uh, no, that is one vehicle I actually have never driven. Um, I never had the opportunity, Uh, so I'm trying, I think about where I was at points in my life and why I wouldn't have driven it. Um, ooh, I, you know, I'm going to say I, I kind of agree with Damon about 2007, but like the, the point in my life when I was taking a break from automotive was 2009. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, so I'm going to say 2009. You should have said 2007. Damon's oh. on the board. Oh. Okay. Next question goes to Jill. Jill, for what model year did the Buick Rainier arrive? Was it 2004, 2002, or 11AD? <laughs> Feels like 11AD. Um, okay, so you were at the, like the very beginning of when I started to even think about potentially writing about cars. This was Buick's um, first ever crossover SUV thing, I believe. Yeah, so I have, I, I remember this vehicle existed, um, but I never drove that one either. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say 2004. 2004. Damon, this question goes to you, the beloved Buick Rainier, 2004, 2002, or 11.80? I think I'm going to agree with Jill and say 2004 because my memory is that it trailed the other GM vehicles on that platform. I believe you are correct. It also was not available in an extended wheelbase with a third row. You mm-hmm. guys are both on the board, 2004. All right. Two to one in favor of Damon. Next question goes to Damon. Damon, for what model year did the Cadillac XLR debut? 2004, 2006, 2022? Mm. The XLR, of course, being their two-seat sports car, it was based on the Corvette. Pretty radically styled for the day. Yeah. You said options are 2004, 2006, and your joke year, right? Mm-hmm. Well, 2022, yeah. Oh, you said 22. Okay. 2022. I'm going to say uh, 2006. 2006. Jill, this question goes to you. Cadillac XLR, art and, what was it called? The art and science design language. Uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say 2004 because I feel like this is one of the first vehicles I had the opportunity to drive at a at a program. So I'm going to say 2004. 2004, Damon, you said 2006. Uh-huh. Jill ties it up. Ooh, really? 2004. Yeah. It's wow. Speaking. I was- I was yeah. I was guessing 2006 because the I I the vet was a new generation for 05 and I was assuming it launched after a new generation but I guess it was late in the previous gen vet's life. Hmm? Yeah. Hmm. All right. This next question goes to Jill. Jill, for what year did the Pontiac G6 debut? Uh. 2003, 2005, or Stardate 41 153.7. <laughs> 
Pioneer oh, whatever. Exit. That was Pontiac's mid-sized car, also so, available as a coupe and convertible. So you said 2003-2005? Yes, and start date 41-153.7. Um, you know, I, I'm going to say 2005. I'm going to say okay. 2005. Damon, this question goes to you, 2003, 2005, or some date way in the future. And this is just regular Pontiac G6, right? Yeah, the debut of the Pontiac G6, yep. Okay, um, I will agree with Jill and say 2005. This game is close, it's now three to three. Oh. Nice job, guys. Last question before- Creating some tension. All right. Damon, for what model year did the Nissan Murano Cross Cabriolet debut? <laughs> debut? Was it 2008, 2011, or sometime during the Tang Dynasty? Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to say 2011. 2011. This, of course, is Nissan's bizarre mid-size crossover convertible, a vehicle that was never placed in the hands of journalists because we would have made fun of it. I think Jill, we actually we had one as a test vehicle. Did it was we really? That, it was that odd turquoise color. I'm pretty sure we I did. I didn't drive it. Oh. Oh. Jill, what year did the Nissan Murano Cross Cabriolet uh, debut? 2008, 2011, or sometime during the Tang Dynasty? Um, I, I think I'm going to agree with Damon on 2011. And I do occasionally see these vehicles around the suburbs of Chicago. I see them. I see yeah. them. Well, guess what? We have a tie. You're both correct. Ford mm. Ford. Oh. Cross cab arrived for 2011, which means the bonus question actually matters. Matters. Oh, boy. Which dun, is dun, exciting. Dun. Uh, this goes to Jill first. Jill, founded in 1958, the International House of Pancakes, now IHOP, is known for its pancakes, obviously, and pre-COVID, the table presentation of four types of syrup, all of which are still available, just not set on the table. Jill, which of the following is not one of those types of syrup? Oh, man, because you know I eat so many pancakes with syrup. I need, I need the fake IHOP syrup. Are you ready? All right, yeah. Blueberry? I'm sorry. Old fashioned, blueberry, butter pecan, cinnamon, or strawberry. One of those is fake. Mm. I hop syrup. Um, so you, so you I, I, say that again. Old fashioned, Old blueberry? Fashioned, maple, uh -huh. fake maple. Blueberry, butter pecan, cinnamon, or strawberry. I. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, oh man. Clock is sticking here. Dude. I know, I know, I know, I know. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna go with my gut and say strawberry. For some reason, that just sounds weird. You're saying strawberry is the fake? Yeah. David, this question goes to you. Which is fake, old fashioned blueberry, butter pecan, cinnamon, or strawberry? I hop syrup. I'm hung up on either butter pecan or cinnamon. I think I'm gonna say cinnamon is the fake. I don't see cinnamon syrup. David, you just won. Oh. Everything right. needs cinnamon. Everything needs cinnamon. That's all I have to say is everything needs cinnamon. You both went four out of five on the regular quiz. Congratulations. But Damon wins it on the utterly pointless bonus question. <laughs> uh, do I get an uh, IHOP uh, gift card as a reward? No, but you get to use the yeehaw hashtag. <laughs> okay. Yeehaw. In the few remaining precious moments of the podcast, Damon, uh, can you tell us what's going on at the CG Daily Drive blog? Yes. All kinds of good stuff once again this week. Uh, we've got a test drive gallery review of the Volkswagen Atlas Cross Sport SEL Premium V6 R-Line. That's all part of the title, official title wow. of this uh, vehicle. Uh, Do you think that actually fits on like the, the uh, Secretary of State index card? <laughs> no. Probably not. There's probably some abbreviations going on there. But that's basically the top line uh, trim level. SEL Premium is the top line trim level of the Atlas Crossport. And then the R line gear, uh, that tax on like another 1700 bucks or so. So uh, that's the most decked out Crossport you can get at the moment. We've also got a test drive of the redesigned for 2022 Nissan Frontier. Uh, we had the top line Pro 4X 
off-road oriented model in Baja Storm Pearl, a very what do you, interesting. What do you think of that color? I dig it. I it, do it's, too. Yeah, yeah to- like Toyota it. and Nissan, uh, the uh, Toyota especially, and Nissan too, they've got a lot of interesting kind of military industrial colors um, on their pickups and SUVs and such. And this uh, Frontier, I'm a big fan of the styling of this new Frontier. Even though it's not a complete ground-up redo, they did a great job of giving it a more modern look Uh on the body styling and then the interior is vastly improved as well. So we've got a full test drive review of that. An interesting corollary, both in color and concept to that frontier, we've got a vintage photo feature from our collectible automobile archives on the 51, uh, I'm sorry, 59 Chevy 3100 Apache pickup truck, which is a interesting kind of taupe color that's an interesting complement to that Nissan. And it's also a four by four, which Tom, you and I had this this discussion four by four pickups very uncommon automakers really didn't have in-house four by four systems back in the day so this 59 chevy is equipped with a system by napco so interesting vehicle to check out which almost isn't a factory installation it's a it's it was a standalone kit you could buy aftermarket that chevy was putting on at the factory and it was very expensive Mm mm-hmm uh, yeah, one of one of the reasons those four by fours back in the day were quite rare is just how much money those four by four systems cost back then. Yeah, that's a cool looking truck too. Yeah, and then finally, uh, speaking of back in the day, we've got not quite as far back in the day. We've got an article on the '83 Oldsmobile Cutlass Supreme, which is unusual by today's standards because that was a fairly run of the mill uh, American car that offered not one, not two, not three, not four, but five engine choices. <laughs> two of them uh, are diesel. Two, two of, of which were diesel. diesels, yeah. So <laughs> interesting look back at that car. The Cutlass Supreme was for years the best-selling car in Chicago. And I got to admit, that's kind of cool looking. It is a good-looking car. I think that styling has aged quite well. I think it has. All right, we're completely out of time. How did we do that? I blame Joe. <laughs> all right. We're cars.com. Wasted all our time today. No, Joe was awesome. And in fact, let me thank Joe of cars.com for joining us today. We will link to that video. And I think anyone who's thinking about buying an electric car should watch that. Uh, thank you, Jill. Thank you, Damon. Thanks to producer Lady B and the good folks here at WCPT in Chicago. You make this look easy. A special shout out to my friends, Steve and Johnny. And, and this is important, if you want to be added to the car stuff mailing list, and you completely do, drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That is carstuff at consumerguide.com. Jill, you're taking the week off next week, right? I am. All right, so it's just (laughs) Dan and I next week. We'll see if that boosts uh, downloads or not. (laughs) No, I think think your downloads just went way down without me there. (laughs) That's as much of a preview as we can go here. All right, let's talk more about cars again next week. 